how to pass a test. And that's what we're talking about this evening in the life of, of Abraham, how to pass a test. I don't think anybody wants to be known as a failure. I don't think anybody goes around saying, hey, yeah, I uh, just want to let you know, I want to be the number one failure in life. No, I, anybody who's serious about life that doesn't, doesn't look at life that way, and I don't think anybody who's really serious about, as I mentioned before, their education that wants to go through the school and, you know, at the age of 20, you're still in sixth grade. You know, hey, look at me, you know, I, I can drive myself to, to sixth grade, <laughs> to elementary school or middle school, yeah. Yeah, I think anybody wants that. I think whenever there's a test given, we want to know how to pass it. We want to know how we can advance, how we can, how we can okay, we can master that uh, information at least enough to be able to move from where we are to where we want to be. You know, it's just like in life. Could you imagine if you still thought the way you did when you were, when you, were um, you know, 13 years of age and now you're a grown adult? And could you imagine being married to that type of person? You know, that wouldn't be, that, that wouldn't be very enjoyable. They, they, they had never matured. They had never grown. They, they had never passed, if you will, the tests of life. And what we have to understand is that there are purposes, there is a purpose from God in the test that he gives to us. And so you say, Pastor, well, what do you want us to take with us? Not only some of these main application points, but really what I want you to take with you and apply to your life is that, is that there is a purpose for what comes into your life. There is a purpose for what comes into your life. Things from God just don't happen. We don't believe in karma. We don't believe in bad luck. We don't believe that God ever makes a mistake. But things that come into our life have a purpose. And even as I mentioned to you this morning, even if you caused the situation that you're in because of sin, because of poor judgment, being disobedient to the Bible, um, not following God's word, searching the scriptures, and you've made what you would call a mess of your life, God can still take that and use it to be purposeful in your life. See, if we just continually turn ourselves over to God, he is able to take that which we've messed up and he can turn it and he can transform it into something that is useful. You say, how do you know that? All you have to do is go to the Garden of Eden. That's all that you have to do. Just go to the Garden of Eden. What happened? Man blew it. Man blew it. God put two perfect individuals in a perfect environment and they still blew it. But from that, God took that mess, the, the, the sin that happened there, and he turned it into something beautiful. What was it? It was the cross. He changed it all. And if he can do that for, for all of mankind, then he can take your situation and use it to be purposeful in your life. The first thing that we mentioned uh, this morning was to pass the test. You must expect the test. You must expect the test. But secondly, this evening, I want you to note not only if you're going to pass the test, must you expect the test, but secondly, you must be obedient to the test. You must be obedient, I should say, to God. 
If you're gonna pass the test, you must be obedient to God. We find this in verses two through four. This is where I see this. And he said, verse two of chapter 22, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and, and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for a burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. If you're going to pass the test, you must expect the test, but secondly, you must be obedient unto God. If you're taking notes, letter A, there is a specific obedience there is a specific obedience. God had Abraham go to a specific place. While we're, while we're uh, taking a few minutes to expound this point, I want you to turn to John chapter 21 while we're doing this. There was a specific place for Abraham to go. He was supposed to go to, it says in verse 2, Moriah, Mount Moriah. What I find interesting is if you study that, Mount Moriah is, is like a ridge, and, and they say that Mount Moriah is actually where, some 2,000 years later, well, maybe a little bit longer than that, I should say, about uh, 4,000 years later, Christ was crucified on Golgotha. It's part of that, uh, that um, mountain range, that, that ridge there, which I find very interesting. As you study this passage of Scripture, you can find a correlation. I mean, there's gospel dripping all over this passage of Scripture. But Abraham told him to go to a specific place. He said, I want you to go to Moriah in verse 2. Then in verse 3, he says, go to that place. Then in verse 4, he goes, go to that place. God wanted Abraham to be specific, to be obedient, I should say, in a specific way. There was no generalities. God told Abraham where to go, and God told Abraham it was a very specific place. I want you to think about something. Why does God's... Well, why does obedient to God have to be specific? Because God has a specific will for each life. See, there's general obedience, but then there's specific obedience. See, there, there, there are things that we're all to obey from the Scriptures. But when it comes to the will of God for your life, and for my life, there are specific areas where each of us are to obey. There are always those who will question. It's like almost like they're, they're little kids, you know, like, well, mommy, why do I have to do this and so-and-so doesn't have to do this, right? There are always Christians that we do the same thing. They, they question God. They question his will. They say, well, God, why do I have to be specifically obedient in this area and so-and-so and doesn't have to be obedient in that area? Why do I have to go in this direction in my life and that person doesn't have to go in that direction in their life? You're not alone in this type of attitude. I want you to take a look in John chapter 21, if you will, please. See, if you're going to be, if you're going to pass the test, you must be obedient to God and you must be obedient specifically for what he has for you. John chapter 21, we see the type of attitude like, well, why do I have to do that and so-and-so doesn't? Verily, verily, in verse 18, 
I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This he spake, signifying by what death he should glorify God. Hmm. And when he has spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciples whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast to supper, said, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to, to, to thee? Follow thou me. You say, what is this talking about here, pastor? Th this is the time when Jesus appeared to Peter after Peter had denied Christ. Jesus is now risen after the crucifixion, and he appears to Peter, and he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And, and Peter tells uh, um, uh, the Lord, yes, I, I love you, Lord. You, you know all things, and, and, and you know that I love you. And then in this passage of Scripture right here, Jesus tells Peter what kind of death he's going to die in order to glorify God. That's what it said right there. In order to glorify God. Side note right here. Listen, the reason that you've got to be obedient to God's specific will for your life is because he has a specific way that he wants you to glorify him in your life. See, just like, we're just like Peter and after the Lord tells him what kind of death Peter's going to die, you know what Peter does? He looks to the apostle John and he says, he says, hey, hey, what about him? You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, look, what's that to you? You know what he's really saying? That's none of your concern, Peter. That's none of your concern what I ask you to obey me to do, and it's none of your concern what I ask what, uh, what I ask John to do, and it's none of John's concern what I ask you to do. You just need to be obedient to my specific will for your life. That's the way you're going to pass the test. That's the way that you're going to glorify me. See, we're just to follow Jesus. Let me put it to you this way. It's like this. God called me to be a preacher. And because of that, there were some specific areas that I had to be obedient to him in. For example, I had to go to Bible college. If I was going to be trained properly, I needed to go to Bible college. That was part of God's specific will for my life. I, not only that, I, I went on and I got my master's degree. And, and, and uh, that's, that's what I needed to do. I needed to be obedient to the Lord to be, able to, to be able to fulfill the calling that he had for me. Now listen, just because you haven't uh, gone to Bible college doesn't mean that you're being disobedient unto the Lord unless God's called you to go to Bible college. But most of the folks in here haven't been called to go to Bible college. Why? Because that's not the specific will for your life. But whatever God's specific will is for your life, you need to be obedient to that if you're going to pass the test. And too many times what we do is we, we start comparing, well, why, why do I have to do this and I can't get to do that? And God's saying, look, if you are going 
to be, uh, pass the test, you must be obedient to me. See, there was a specific obedience, but letter B, I see not only is there a specific obedience, there should be immediate obedience. There is to be immediate obedience. I would tell young parents, teach your kids to be obedient immediately. It is the, it, it, you say, why is that? It is the breaking of the will. Look at it, what, what Abraham says. It says in verse two, it's, he, the Lord says, take now. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I don't want you to wait around. I, I don't need you to get advice from your friends. I want you to go immediately. Then in verse three, the Bible says, and Abraham rose up early in the morning. So we suspect that God spoke to Abraham towards the evening, and then Abraham, right after God said, take now, he, he got up early in the morning, and he moved forward. You know, if there was ever a day for Abraham to drag his feet and to sleep in, it would have been that day. This was the day that Abraham was to start the journey to go sacrifice his own son. I'm sure that Abraham's heart was heavy. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Just put yourself in Abraham's shoes. How heavy Abraham's heart was. I'm sure there were feelings of grief. But listen, you know what he did? Instead of following his feelings, he was obedient immediately to the word of God. If you are going to pass the test, there must be immediate obedience. See, when we, when we delay our obedience or we outright rebel against the testing of God, there's a major problem that's going to happen. See, what happens is when we delay our obedience, it opens up the door for the enemy to tempt us. He, he'll, he'll draw us away, and he'll draw us in to start questioning God, and he'll draw us in to start uh, questioning God's goodness, and he'll lead us into uh, discouragement at times. He may lead us into despair and, and ultimately into sin. When, when we just say, well, I'm just going to wait a, a, a little bit, and no, when, when God calls us to do something, if we're going to pass the test, we need to step out and be obedient immediately to what God has to say. I, I don't know about you, but when, with, with our kids, when they were little, our girls, when they weren't obedient immediately, there, there was some concern on our part. Why? Because it, it, it shows a lack of a submissiveness in the heart. You know what else it shows? shows that you really don't trust. See, listen, you know you can obey God without trusting God? You can obey God without trusting God. What do you mean by that? Just what I said. Because you can do what you know is right to do but you question him all along the way. It's just like this with young people or teenagers or kids. They're, they may be obedient to mom and dad, but they really don't trust their decisions. Obedience doesn't always equal trusting. Hopefully it will. 
Hopefully you will trust when you're obedient. But, but what I find is that many times the reason that a person is not obedient to an authority is because sometimes is because they don't trust them. They don't trust that the decision is correct. They don't trust that, that they know what they're talking about. And sometimes, though uh, we know that God knows what he's talking about, so we'll, we'll just go ahead and go along with it, we really don't fully trust him in our heart. Not Abraham. See, that's the reason why we drag our feet sometimes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of being obedient. It's almost like God's pulling us along, right? And, and what we have to do is we need to be more like Abraham. See, to sin in this, to sin in God's testing of you is to mean that you only have to repeat the test. I'm not going to ask you how many have failed a grade before. But if you've ever failed a grade, you had to repeat it while everybody else moved on. And that's not, so, that's not too bad. The consequences aren't too bad. But you know, when you fail a test with God, when you choose, choose freely not to be obedient unto him, you have to continually repeat that test until you pass it. Now listen to this, and the test gets harder. You say, how is that? Because what happens is your heart will become harder. See, because you didn't do it the first time, that means sin has crept in. Now not only do you have to deal with, deal with passing the test, you gotta deal with being disobedient unto God. And as, and as you and I, if we are not careful, our hearts will become harder and even more attached to whatever sin we're struggling with. So maybe God's putting you through a test and you don't pass it the first time and, and there's a struggle there, you know? Anybody with me tonight? I mean, you ever have any struggles in your Christian life? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, I know it's five o'clock and most of you are just finishing up your naps for the afternoon. But it's been about a couple months now. We should be used to this five o'clock thing. All right, come on. Help me out. And you struggle with it and you, you don't pass the test. You're not obedient to God. You know what happens? You latch on harder to that. And that's the reason that the test becomes harder. Not because God's making it harder for you to pass the test. He's not changing the questions. He, he's not switching up the test on you. No. The problem lies with us, and so that's why I'm saying we need to be obedient to God and follow his specific will for our lives, and we must be obedient immediately if we're going to pass the test. So if you're going to pass the test, you must expect the test, and then you must obey God, but then number three here this evening, you must trust God through the test. Amen. This is where I get that you can be obedient, but you cannot trust, because Abraham could have been obedient but he could have doubted God the whole way. It's like this, God, I can't believe you're making me do this. You gotta be kidding me. You promised me this son and now you're gonna take this son from me? What's the matter? Why, you playing games with me? You, this isn't fair. This isn't right. 
You're supposed to be a loving God. You're supposed to be a kind God. You're supposed to be a, a gracious God. Now, now look at the way that you're, you're treating me. You know, I don't find that with Abraham at all. Matter of fact, Abraham's attitude is totally different. You say, how do I trust God through the test? Take a look at verse 5. You have the right heart. And then Abraham said unto the young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Did you see the heart of Abraham in the greatest test that he was ever going to face? He had a heart of worship. How do you know if you're testing, if you're trusting God through the test? Is your heart one of worry and complaining or is your heart one of worship? It's really simple. Are you worshiping God through the test? You worshiping God through the storm, through the difficulty, through the obstacle, through the barrier, whatever you want to call it. I don't care what tag you put on it, but that's the way that you know if you are trusting God through the test. If you are worrying or complaining or griping or murmuring, or are you worshiping? What was what was Abraham doing? He was he had a heart of worship. I want you to take a look, if you will, in Romans chapter 12. See, Abraham was on his way to sacrifice. To the Lord, and he saw it as worship. In Romans chapter 12, I want you to see this, if you will, what Paul said in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You see that word in there, sacrifice? I want you to think about that word. You know, when we think about that word sacrifice, we tend to think of it as pain because sacrifice at times can be painful. But even if the sacrifice is painful, now listen, even if the sacrifice is painful, it does not mean that we are not to have a heart of worship. I don't know of any more painful experience a parent could go through than to have to sacrifice their own son than this. But what did Abraham do through it? He worshiped. See, many times the reason that we don't have a heart of worship while we go through the testing time is because we are really not trusting God. Because our lives, listen, our lives are more about us and what we want for our lives than what he wants for our lives. See, listen, folks, you need to get this because when, when our lives are more about us and what we want, when our lives are more about us and what we want or and we get upset when anything hinders our happiness, our enjoyment, our goals. What happens is it creates animosity and anger in our lives. See, when you are at the center of your universe and not God, anything that comes into your life by way of difficulty will create animosity and anger in your life. 
And sometimes what happens is that gets directed towards God because, wait a second, our goals, our happiness, our enjoyment, our pleasure has been derailed and we're going through a time of being a living sacrifice unto God and sacrifice is painful. So therefore, because my happiness, my enjoyment, my goals, what I want in life is being hindered, wait a second, God, this is your fault. You are the controller of all things. So therefore, you could have stopped this from coming into my life, but you allowed it to come into my life. And so therefore, I'm angry at you. God, why? Why are you doing this to me? It's not a heart of worship. It's a heart of accusation. It's a heart of worry. It's a heart of mistrust. That's what happens when you have a life that's centered on you. But when you have a life that's centered upon God and what he wants for your life, you can rejoice even when it's sacrifice, even when it's suffering. Romans 5, 3 and 4, the Bible says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. See, we can rejoice, we can have a right heart, because we know that ultimately testing leads us to know and trust God more. So you must trust God through the test, you must have a, a right heart, but let her be. Verses 6 through 11, you must have a real faith. You must have a real faith. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, if you would, please. If you're going to test, trust, if you're going to trust God through the test, you must have a real faith. Abraham had a real faith. You say, how do I know that? You say, Pastor, how do you know that Abraham had a real faith? You, 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 can't, you can't say that. Oh, yeah, I can, by Abraham's own testimony. So how do you know he had a real faith? Because this is what he said in verse 5. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. That's a real faith. God had told Abraham, you are to sacrifice your son to me. You know, that trip that Abraham took, that three-day trip, his son was already dead in his mind. Son was already dead. It's, it's, it's going to happen. It's done. It's over with. I'm, I'm going to be losing my son. He's, he's as good as dead. But when they got to the foot of Mount Moriah there, he looks at his servants and he says, me and the lad, we're going to come back. Just want to let you know, my God's going to provide. You know what he was doing? He was saying, God, thank you for the victory before the victory. He was saying, God, I'm praising you that you're going to bring me through before you ever bring me through. God, I want to thank you how good you are to help uh, uh, um, uh, get me through this tough time, even though I'm still in the midst of it. Lord, I want to thank you for your grace, even if you, even if you do take my son you're going to give me grace to be able to get through it, but you're going to raise him from the dead. That's exactly what he was saying there. You know, he was basically telling his men, now his men probably didn't know what was going on, but he was saying to himself, you know, he was repeating truth back to himself. He was saying, God, you're going to raise my son back up again because he's coming back with me. 
It's like the children of Israel when they marched around Jericho on the seventh day. What did they do? They shouted before the walls came down. They didn't shout after the walls came down. Now, they may have, but before the walls ever came down, they started praising God that God was going to give them the victory, and God gave them the victory. See, you, you, you say, well, pastor, how does that help me? The reason that helps you is because, see, Satan wants you to live in the life of defeat, of failing the test and saying, God's not going to bring you through. There's not going to be any victory. You're going to be stuck in the circumstance for the rest of your life. Well, even if you are stuck in the circumstance for the rest of your life, you've got the God of all heaven on your side to be able to help lead you and guide you and direct you and protect you and care for you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He is my rock that I can go to. He plants my feet on solid ground. And see, the devil wants you to live in this part where, oh no, I, 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 I don't know what's going to happen. I'm gonna, I, I can't trust the Lord. And what God is trying to teach us here is, look, before you ever get to the victory, just start praising God for the victory and see what God will do. You don't know how he's going to deliver See, so many times we look at these, these, these Bible narratives and we almost look at them tritely like, what was Abraham's problem? Well, yeah, you get to read the end of the story, folks. But you know what? You're Abraham. You're Abraham in the 21st century. You're Sarah in the 21st century. You're Jacob in the 21st century. You're a Paul in the 21st century. Uh, whatever Bible character you want to be, you're living your life for Christ. You don't know the end of the story. Just like they didn't know it, but they lived by faith. They trusted an almighty God. See, you've got to have a real faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, take a look at verse 17, if you would, please. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, for whence also he received him in a figure. See, Abraham had a real faith in God. You know where the difficulty comes in the testing? It's because tests come in all different types of lengths. Some tests are short. This was a three-day test, if you will, for Abraham. Others are long. And what I found out in my own life when I've gone through tests and difficulties, and maybe you found it to be true as well, maybe we could both, we could both have the same testimony here this evening, is the longer the test, the more trying it is on my faith. The longer the test, the more trying it is on my faith. See, when you don't know how long the test will last, when you don't know when there will be a light, if you will, the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel, you must have a real faith in God to sustain you through the valley of the shadow of death. I want you to remember the man Joseph. Remember Joseph? Falsely accused and thrown in the prison. Now, we know he was in prison for two years, at least two years. We know that. It had to be longer than two years, but we know at least for two years he was in prison. You know, Joseph didn't know how long he was going to be in prison. He didn't get to read the end of the story. He was in the middle of the story. But what is interesting when you read Joseph's story, no matter what, 
even when it seems like he was forgotten, he still had faith in God. Even when it seemed his last line of hope was gone, he still had faith in God. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, to, have, to pass the test, we must have a real faith in God. We must believe God. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God is good all the time? Then if you do, and you should, then God can only be good. I just asked you if you believe that God was good all the time. If you do, and you should, then you can only believe that God is good. See, what's happened is sometimes we think that God is good, and then sometimes God is not as good. We don't want to say evil, but that's really what it is. God's just not as good. No, God is good all the time. So no matter what you're going through, God is even good in that. Do you believe that God's faithful all the time? You should. Then God can only be faithful. God cannot be faithful one moment and unfaithful the next moment. You're either faithful or you're not. So even while you're going through the test and it seems like God's presence is not there, that he hasn't been faithful, you feel like he's forsaken you, what do you do? You hold on to the word of God and say, wait a second, the character of my God says that he is faithful all the time. And so since he is faithful all the time, I can trust him. I look at the life of Joseph and I think his faith is amazing. Because his prison, the prison system that he was in is nothing like our prison system, okay? And not that I want to be in our prison system either, okay? But I definitely wouldn't want to be in his prison system. And I don't know about you, but if you were thrown into prison for something that you did not do, wouldn't you feel forsaken of God? Hello, just be honest. Okay, I know I would. What's going on? I know my life has been clean and honorable unto you, God, and now you would. But you know what? He was faithful. He trusted God. You'll never pass the test unless you're obedient unto God. You will never pass the test unless you trust God. Let me ask you, what's God's specific will for your life? He may be putting you through a test this evening and he wants you to go in a certain direction. Are you fighting him or are you following him? You're doing one of two things with God. You're either fighting or following. One of two things, fighting or following. 
There's no such thing as half, half you know, like, we, 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 we Christians, man, people, we love to saddle, don't we? Sort of here, sort of there. No, you're either fighting or following. What are you doing? Are you really trusting God or are you complaining through the whole process? Are you worrying or are you worshiping? See, everybody can pass the test. I've just given, I've given you almost all the answers to the test. And a matter of fact, every test that God gives us is an open book test. You get to go back to the book all the time and open it up and you can see who God is. And since God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he didn't fail those people back there, guess what? He's not going to fail you today. So how you doing on the test? Can I tell you, sometimes I've failed. I've won some battles and I've lost some battles. And I can't help but think that you're right there with me at times. But the wonderful thing is, is that we know who wins the war. And we need to put our faith and confidence in him completely. How you doing on the test? What kind of grade, if we were to flash it up there on the screen tonight, what kind of grade would you get? Maybe you need to come this evening and say, Lord, just help me. Help me to be specifically obedient to you. Help me to be immediately obedient to you. Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to do what is right, even when it may be sacrificial, even when it may be painful. If that's you tonight, I'd like you to come and spend some time in prayer. Ask Lord to be able to help you. Because as your pastor, you know what? I, I don't want to have to see you repeat a test over and over again. I want to see you moving forward for the cause of Christ. Because every test has a purpose. Will you allow God to show you the purpose that he has for your testing?